G'day, podcasting friends of the show. Just a little insight into what I'm working on. Currently, I am looking at exploring Indigenous perspectives, whether that be Indigenous Australians, Indigenous Americans, Indigenous any anyone, any Indigenous perspective or perspectives anywhere in the world. Uh, if you come across any interesting people or ideas that you think would be worth exploring, send them my way. And if... You're listening to this episode and you're like, man, what the hell does Conrad think? What does he really think? Well, you can find out, but it will cost you. I can't guarantee it will be worth the money you pay. But if you follow the links on Instagram to a Substack, you will get access to episodes of me talking with friends of the show about what I really think and also some experimental new segments that I have been... Uh, I guess experimenting with, that's what you do with experiments. You, you experiment with them. Uh, so you can take a look and sign up to that there. If you make it to the end of this episode, friends of the show, and you disagreed with absolutely everything and you make it to the very end, please send me a DM. Tell me that you made it to the end of an episode you really struggled with and disagree with. And I will send you a complimentary high value gold medal emoji to show my gratitude for participating in the process and because, well, let's face it, you've earned it. It's not easy to listen to an opinion you disagree with for an extended amount of time. So that's just an award that I believe you've earned. So that being said, agree, disagree, who cares? Let's take a listen. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people. Categorizing of humans and ideas. You have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being to who they really are and in the marketplace of ideas these things are complicated man we all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints a genuine multicultural connection with another i mean sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree you just need to sit with it and digest Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity that I believe connects us. My name's Conrad, and if you're a new friend of the show, maybe you're joining us live on Instagram, welcome. You're very welcome. It's great to have you here. If you're live, you can fire through some questions. I'll try and weave them in as, as I chat, as I dual-wield. Uh, dual no, I think the word's multitask. Dual-wielding is something completely different. Uh, as I multitask, try and read comments there. Um, but I have to give you my usual warning uh, up front for the podcast. Uh, this podcast may not be for you. Now you're thinking, I'm checking out this podcast. You're telling me it's not for me. Kind of, but not really. Uh, it's not that I don't want you here. Oh no, that's it's actually not that. It's because I've heard this podcast is difficult to listen to. Now, it... <sighs> And it isn't difficult to listen to, once again, because of my Aussie accent. I think that that adds charm. I think, maybe, maybe you might disagree. Uh, it's because if you listen long enough, you'll eventually hear some ideas that sound like nails on a chalkboard. And this is by design. Um, if you're enjoying this episode, uh, I'm really glad you're enjoying this episode. But you might not enjoy the next one because it might, you might have a encounter a worldview or an idea that, that might be difficult to stomach and listen to. Uh, but I promise if you stick with the practice, I think you'll learn to enjoy the more challenging episodes, the ones that grade against you, uh, in, in a different way. Maybe you'll enjoy it like going to the gym or eating broccoli. You know, you're like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this all the time, but I know I, I want to do it sometimes. So disclaimer out of the way, just so you know what you're getting yourself in for. You're not listening to like, what the hell? What does this guy believe? Why is he putting this person on? It's by design. So there's the warning out of the way. Let me introduce new friend of the show. 
Bree Stoner. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. I guess what I like to do is straight up, we've, we've just kind of met, we've fiddled around with technology. Nothing bonds people more than just trying to get the internet to work. <laughs> it, it, like, if we just kind of met at an internet cafe, you know, maybe in the year 2000, when the internet cafe I was just going to say, thing, <laughs> give or take. 20 years <laughs> that's right and we're like oh we're, we're just like how do we get this gmail to work oh hi Bree, my name's connor it's nice to meet you and how would you kind of introduce yourself surface level what do you, what do you do for a living who are you oh my gosh um you know that's an that's interesting because i feel like when i meet people the last thing i share is is what i do oh. um what's the first thing you share I, I don't know. I think I usually just say something like, you know, I'm, I'm a mess. You're I don't really know that. who I am or what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Generally speaking, it's like, hi, I, I'm, I'm lost. you know, cause people like to ask that <laughs> yeah. question. Well, what do you, uh, yes, exactly. I am profoundly lost and I'm learning how to be happy with that. Oh. But yeah, I mean, I think people ask that question a lot. Like, what do you do? And I've done so many different things throughout the years and I'm always doing multiple projects at once. Um, that it's, that's a difficult question for me to answer. So I usually start with like, ah, I don't know. I'm like a blender or a hurricane I'm doing, you know, then I'll name some of the things I'm working on. Um, but it's challenging. I think the easiest way to sum it up is I'm an artist. Um, Mm -hmm. I care deeply about social change and personal transformation and, and social transformation. And so I dedicate my life to serving in, in, in organizations or in my art, that change, that change making energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and that Mm -hmm. usually sets us in the context of, of what I do and who I am. Um, Mm -hmm. although it never satisfies people when I, when I say it vaguely like that. Yeah. (laughs) I, I like that. And if you were in Australia, I'll bring in my Australian lens and filter here because my wife's an artist and, and she would probably get this from, a lot of people, Australians, we're, uh, we're a bit different to Americans. We're skeptical about just dreaming. You know, America has this like, yeah, follow your dreams, follow your passions, bro. Like you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of like, yeah, but Brie, okay, you're an artist. Uh, we have a, a roommate at the moment who, who is an artist and she told a story um, just encountering. She's like, someone asked her, what do you do for a living? She's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a painter. I'm an artist. And they go, yeah, but like, what do you really yeah, do? What do you really so do? Brave to be an, a, an Australian, a skeptical Australian, you can't like, we all know artists don't make money. Come yeah. on. What do you really do? Yeah. Yeah. What do I really do? Well, currently um, I work under the vague and impressive title of chief spiritual officer to an organization at the intersection of politics, spirituality, and society. Um, kind of committed to uh, engendering a different story, especially in our nation, in the United States. Um, and it, the organization is called Unite. It's based out of Washington, D.C. So that is the that is the daytime gig. But within that, I get to do a lot of creative and artistic work, which is why I might be, you know, one of those obnoxious, like pain in the ass people who actually does make a living doing the thing that they want to be doing. So... <laughs> Um, I feel quite fortunate in that wow. regard. I mean, with, geez, with a job title like that, I mean, I'd lead with that. But Chief spiritual officer. <laughs> chief. I'm the, yeah. you know the officers, but I'm the know. chief of them. 
<laughs> of spiritual. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's really vague because it's not really uh, a recognized job title or position. Um, but I, I guess we're making we're making it up as we go, and we're finding our own way. Uh, I, I really okay. I really like that. We'll, we'll definitely explore like some some more of the artist and maybe the chief spiritual officer stuff. Uh, but yeah. To to jump quickly into the clip, I'll introduce the clickbait and then I'll, I'll go into my mandatory segment. Uh, the clickbait, and now just hear me out here, uh, precious contemplative asshole in recovery. Brie, I'm not <laughs> calling you one of these, but I was listening to the podcast that you do with Richard Raw, another name for everything, and you, and you said this yeah. about you. So I didn't say I this. Did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That's the click. Yeah. That's the clickbait kind of context there, and I think we will go into this in a bit. But Bree, we've just met. I've, I've, I'll be honest. I've just judged you. I've just gone. I've heard all these things. He's a new person. I've made a whole bunch of judgments, but I want to confess them to you and go, Bree, is this right or is this wrong? As I encounter someone new, rather than just box them, maybe I can see if the boxes. Mm-hmm are correct. How does that sound? Sounds good. Okay. Um, I mean. <laughs> some some people enjoy this game more than others, uh, but we'll, we'll see how we go. Uh, now. So, so you want me to respond true or false or just like, how does it sound to me? Like, is it accurate? Yeah. So, <laughs> are your judgments? <laughs> so I, I began the game as like, nah, you have to fit, say yes or no. But I found a Got lot it. of people... Okay really hated that rob bell in particular he really was like uh i will yeah fight. don't put me in a box <laughs> rob bell like I, I i'm not part of your either or that's i'm right. not in your binary game conrad that's, that's exactly what's <laughs> I know, the process yeah. and so i was yeah. like i i've modified the game so if you if you want to kind of add context and nuance or if you want to just embrace it wholeheartedly and just like pick a box Obviously, you don't okay. really fit in the box, but we'll get to that later. So, up to you how All you right. how you play. Um, so, my generic Australian judgments that I must confess to you uh, uh, that I would have about Americans. There's only two, really. Um, no, this is broadly. It's not about me specifically. This is just about Americans. I can do this a lot easier. If it's about Americans, I'm in. Well, we start <laughs> we start easy, so don't be lulled into a false okay. sense of security. Um, the, got it. the generic American one, we've got two, you know, I'm not got getting it. Trump voter vibes. So you've got to be the other one, a West Coast liberal elite. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the West Coast part. Damn but, it, East Coast. You're right. Uh, Is it East Coast or West Coast? <laughs> Who are, where are the I elites? Mean, yeah. It, I, the, you know, East Coasters can can be the real snobs in, in oh, my book. I uh, did not know that, but I'll, yeah, I'll update my judgments. I think so. I think so. Um, oh, yes, definitely. I'm such a snob and I'm definitely a liberal for sure. Mm, thick sarcasm there. I feel like that's a no. No, actually, no, that was legit. No, I'm saying oh, it's a yes. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was being, I was being genuine. Oh, my sarcasm yeah. right I am, now is I am, off. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, that's a yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I like, I like the honesty. Um. You are, and friend of the show, Gabe, who I spoke to last week, uh, he, this is a, probably maybe from his worldview, um, you're just another 
woke theologian who doesn't believe in anything. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I definitely don't consider myself woke. Uh, I don't think I'm qualified to reach the elite status of theologian um, who doesn't believe in anything. No, I think I believe in everything. So that would be a no. I don't fit in that box. So to kind of follow up, because uh, you said your job title was chief spiritual officer. So we're going some form of religion. You'd be like Jesus. You, you guys, you woke theologians, even though you denied it, uh, not interested in Jesus anymore. Like this Jesus guy, he's a good bloke, but yeah, who cares? Oh my gosh. No, don't fit. No, not at all. I love one. Jesus. Okay. Oh yeah, for real. Yeah. All right. Um, let's just go with some more <laughs> Dude, labels. Wait, wait, pause. Yeah. Pause. Time out. Time pause. out. Like, I've I don't never know had this. Time out. Time out. I don't know how far back you go, but maybe some of the, the audience knows the song. Like immediately my mind went to DC Talk Jesus Freak and I almost started singing it, but I will spare you. I'm, um, if, carry on. If you did, I, I would attempt to join you because <laughs> that was probably. Do you remember that song? It was, I was, I was like, I reckon 10. And that was because like yeah. rock music was just getting cool and Christian, that's like the yeah. gateway drug to actual oh, rock yeah. music. And De that song, I was like, yeah. this song is sick. And mom gave it to us because yeah. she was a bit more liberal. Oh, yeah. And we we felt like we were legitimate with that song. Oh, you know, give me a little DC talk. Give me that edge of that. So, yeah, it was like awesome I, to be a Jesus freak. I think Jesus. I still like that song. If that came on, I'd be like, yeah, flashback yeah. to 10-year-old yeah. rocking out. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, And the thing is, is that like 90s production is so in right now that that yes. like distortion would probably be like, dink. DC Talk, here's yeah, your window. Re-release. Yeah. Re-release, yeah. Re please. There it is. Uh, okay. Yes. And invite us and we'll join in <laughs> on it. It'll be like the remix. Yeah. So are you, are you, ready, are you ready to <laughs> tap back in? Yeah, yep. Okay. Uh, another yep. label, I like to just throw labels at people. Uh, you This, like, postmodernist, right? You, you're squirming, you, you're slippery eel, no absolute truths, yeah. everything's relative. Nope. I'm I'm big into metamodern, the, the metamodern camp. So I don't actually feel like postmodern fits so many of us anymore because I think we're pragmatic idealists. I think we have beliefs. I think we bounce between cynicism and hope. Um, and I think it's a healthy combination. Hmm. We're definitely going to dig into metamodern because if I'm unfamiliar <laughs> with metamodern, I would just lump that in with postmodern and go bloody new, more postmodernism labeled something else. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so yeah. if you like, if you're still reading the Bible, then you must just be reading what you want into the Bible. You're just doing what you want. It's your emotions leading you. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think to some degree that's the observer critique. Like we all are influenced by our own lens. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think I fit that box though. Like I think I'm still really challenged by mm. any any sacred text of any tradition. Really mm. shakes me up. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Okay. Don't fit. All right. No. Um, all right. Last one, and this is just for my American friends of the show who this seems to be, well, growing in Australia too, but we just love to throw this around. Um, there seems to be a connectedness with like progressive Christianity and communism. So 
Brie, you sound like Marxist, <laughs> communist, like you want some are utopia. You <laughs> yeah, are you a communist? I guess that's what I'm asking. <laughs> Someone might ask that. Is that the question? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the question. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, if my ex-husband was watching this, he'd be like, yes, she's a communist. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm pretty close to the mark. <laughs> You know what? I grew up in socialist Spain. I can't help it, people. I oh. can't help it. I just think everything should be shared. Well, I'm from, from socialist Australia, so, I mean, you, you could come visit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unclear on that one. Unclear. Deciding. Still deciding which. which. All right. That That's mm-hmm. that's kind of it. Um, Brie, what assumptions do you encounter, I guess, when you enter conversations or discuss ideas with people? Uh, you know, it really depends on the person and, and the context of the conversation. I think a lot of times I find myself in contemplative circles, uh, people who are, are interested in contemplation or mysticism, the mystical traditions of, of spiritual traditions. And in those settings, I find that there's a lot of operating assumptions around what consciousness means, what non-duality means, what the ultimate level of consciousness is, um, the, the certain certain assumptions that Ken Wilber is is the, the word of the new Bible, the new word of God. Um, you know, th- th- those are those are the assumptions that I encounter that I, I tend to get really kind of uncomfortable in, and I like to disrupt. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of assumptions about what contemplative practice even is, mm-hmm. um, and what it feels like, or what it, what what the goal should be for that. Um, but as I mentioned before, I'm I'm in a I'm in a kind of combination of of contexts. It's like that would be the kind of spiritual context. I mean, there's there's obviously a social and political context with my work in D.C., and and there are a lot of assumptions that. Um, are very prevalent in our society right now in the United States around, you know, Republicans or Trump, you know, Trump mm-hmm. supporters and um, people who who care deeply about values and traditions and who um, I, I think we have a lot of unlearning that we need to do collectively as a, as a society about what drives people and a lot of compassion that we need to operate with. So I get really irritated at those boxes as well. Um, and then as an artist, I think it's just sort of my, my natural stasis to want to disrupt any and all boxes. Mm -hmm. So wherever there are assumptions, even by what people mean when they talk about God or when they talk about purpose or they talk about meaning or they talk about, um, what, what provides meaning or what success is, uh, so I guess it's a really long way of answering like pretty much any assumption conrad any assumption for me is something that i i i I get uncomfortable around um i think i've Mm -hmm. i've talked a lot on another name for everything about unknowing and that's actually the name of Mm -hmm. the podcast that i'm starting because i think it's such a necessary component uh to any creativity and transformation is unknowing your assumptions unknowing what you think you know Mm. uh to make space for mystery complexity inspiration and even surprise Mm -hmm. yeah i think that is the key divergence 
in ideas that I, I'm always trying to explore with guests and and who they are as people. And I think you nailed it when you're talking about assumptions around words when you come to a conversation. So like, what does this mean? And 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 religion is full of these words that we all assume as a meaning because we think it's a common tradition. But I think what I'm discovering more and more with the more people we talk to, people saying, yeah, I'm Christian, he's Christian. But then we go, but what do you mean by resurrection? And then we discover if we have a long enough conversation that we have these different operating definitions. So Bree, as you talk there about contemplative circles and mystic, Mm. talk to me about, Mm. I guess what that is some people will already have operating assumptions let's say uh more conservative friends of the show might go mystic isn't that like just like like spiritualism or or something you know a bit woo woo that we might want to avoid when you're using the words contemplative and mystic and christian mystic like what is this what is this form of christianity i suppose that Mm. you're talking about Mm, yeah, I think um, first of all, I'm I'm a deep student of all religious traditions. So, mm. uh, what I what I love, what I appreciate, is that every religious tradition has its uh, stream of mysticism. And what we what I mean by mysticism or the mystics is, I often use a definition by Richard Rohr where he says the mystic is one who has left. Uh, orthodoxy um, in order to trust and um, allow the immediate embodied experience of God to sort of direct their own authority about reality, about purpose, Mm -hmm. about what needs to change in society. Um, So they're really, the mystics are, you know, the the band of, of rebels, of prophets on the edge of the inside of every spiritual tradition who are kind of pushing things forward and animating evolution and, and pointing the way to where things have gotten stuck in, in um, you know, orthodoxy or, or belief systems, right belief instead of right practice, um, and uh, where things have become too dogmatic, too law-oriented, and, and especially mystics are concerned with the bodies who are being oppressed by those laws. So every major founder of of every religious tradition, you know, Jesus, the Buddha, um, Muhammad, uh, they are in essence they are mystics. They are they are they embody those who um, had full and complete experiences of the divine and were able to offer a new vision for our world. Um, I say that mm-hmm. with a lot of respect because I know that there may be listeners for whom. Uh, only one of those voices is the correct voice for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. Um, that's that's all right. Because the way I like to think about it is like almost as if every religious tradition is a tree in a forest. And, um, you know, mysticism is like if you follow the tree down long enough, you'll go into the root system. And beneath the root system is a reservoir of water. And that's where that, you know, interconnection and um, divine interdwelling really is. And so it's all right. It's okay if you find yourself only comfortable in one specific tree, I say stay there and, you know, take it seriously and take the practices seriously. 
And my belief is that eventually you'll deepen to a place where you'll be less threatened by other beliefs and other, other belief systems mm -hmm. as well. And you're not then saying, it sounds like you're not saying Christianity is the exclusive voice. Because this story that probably many religions have, but let's speak specifically to Christianity, it says, people will say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so then, therefore, Christianity is the only way to truly know God. But it sounds like you're saying that each religious tradition from different cultures and worldviews and perspectives has a set of beliefs or practices that can lead people and lead certain people to this mystical way of viewing things, which as you're describing mm. it, it sounds like a way of experiencing. So there's like ideas and beliefs we have, hold liturgies, practices, ideas we rally around, and then these might lead us eventually into experiencing some of these ideas. And you're saying those that can engage with a personal experience with some of those spiritual ideas, that's, that's kind of the level you're talking about as mystical as in encountering this stuff that Jesus, mm -hmm. the Buddha have like been speaking about and have the traditions have taught for thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. This is why, you know, um, even though I, I, see myself as a student of all religious traditions. Um, my home base or, or native tradition is Christianity because that's what I grew up in. But this is where I find, you know, the Eucharist or communion so powerful because, you know, you can look at an apple or you can look at a piece of bread. You can talk about it all day long. You can, you can analyze mm -hmm. it to death. I mean, you can, you can literally describe exactly what the ingredients were that went into the bread. Then you can have an argument with, the, with this group of people over here about the process of how that bread was baked. But ultimately, when you break the bread and you eat it, you have an experience of oneness in which the bread is transformed in your body into energy. And so in some mm. ways, the mystics are those who eat the bread. They don't just talk about it. They eat it and they allow themselves to be animated by it. Um, and I think, I think that is the point. I think that is what every founder of every re religious tradition was kind of offering as an example. So even back to your statement about what Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I think in that moment, um, and I won't presume to say I know exactly what he meant, but I think in that moment it's in it, it's a, it's a, you know, he's, he's offering a hologram of saying like, you know, you can be as I am. You can, you can be one with mm. the divine, just like I am. Uh, see mm. me as a gate for yourself. Uh, don't worship me, worship the path that I am offering you. You know, like you too mm. can, you know, it's like sort of like that moment when Peter gets out of the water and, you know, is walking toward Jesus. This is a one of the stories in the Bible, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, you know, they're, they're in the storm and, you know, the disciples see Jesus out there walking on the water like you do in the middle of a storm. I mean, I do. I mean, I don't know what you do, Conrad. But and then so Peter he says, like, Lord, if it's really you, like if it's really you, tell me to come out of the boat. So he gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water. And, you know, all of a sudden he's like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And he's like walking toward Jesus. Then all of a sudden he starts to sink. And Jesus catches him and he says, oh, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I don't think in that moment what Jesus was saying was, why did you doubt me? Because Jesus is still on the water. He's fine. Like, he's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
what Peter was doubting was his ability to be as Jesus was, to, to be that, to be a mm. vessel for that kind of oneness with the divine in which the elements could bend around him in that way. And again, these are, these are metaphors for us. They are pictures that can stay with us. But I think the point is, you know, be as Jesus, be as the Buddha, you know, <clears throat> live your way into these things until for you, um, it can become as real as eating the bread and being animated by the energy the bread gives you. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting analogy because there's a certain amount of literalism within it. When you eat the bread, you are literally animated yeah. by it, but you're talking on this poetic, yeah. almost symbolic level going, but it's the experience of the eating bread that's going to give your opinion of it and you're you're going to you're going to love it and enjoy it not because of the not necessarily just because of the anatomical response, but because of your experience, your whole person, your taste buds, your smell, <clears throat> what it means when yeah. you're hungry, all those sorts of things. That's kind of, so it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting analogy because it has those two elements to it. Yeah. And I would add the third, which is that how it animates your body is unique. Hmm. Your expression of the bread's energy, if we're following this metaphor, is going to be uniquely Conrad. Interesting. Just like my expression of that bread's energy is going to be uniquely Brie. Um, and that is part of what I think we have such a hard time trusting, that, that somehow our disparate, diverse, different, uh, unique, flawed human hearts could express the divine in the same way that, you know, the premise of the incarnation does. Like, that's what blows people's minds. And it's like, no, 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 no. Too much, too much. I would rather worship that dude over there. Uh (laughs) I'd rather sing songs about him because that's easier for my mind to make sense out of than the idea that I too am part of the ongoing incarnation of Christ. Mm. And what your, that's a distinctly different worldview than when we when you're saying we are uniquely animated by it it's going to express differently what it seems to contrast to is the like the narrow religious expression that a lot of traditions yeah. have come to like like the split in all protestantism goes to all the different expressions all the different yeah. doctrines all the different areas there yeah and here's the thing that really gets me and and drives me nuts it's as if we've forgotten that the story is not finished. And this is why I think evolution is so critical um, for us to embrace within our religious traditions, because the story isn't over. It isn't finished. It's not complete. And so whatever God is, God is Godding God's self still. Therefore, we are participants in that expression of God. Um, and the ways in which in religious traditions we, we you know, we become very nostalgic and uh, worship the small t tradition, right? We worship the, the backwards looking tradition and forget that we ourselves are part of it um, is a failure, in my view, a failure of, of right practice and right teaching. Because what happens when you do that is that you take yourself off the field and put yourself on the bench. Mm. And we can sit back and say, well, society is what, you know, oh, well, the world's going to burn. It doesn't matter if global warming. Oh, well, you know what? I'm not a racist. 
So I don't have to worry about that because I know I'm not a racist. So it's like it Mm. allows us to remain static about our own becoming and our collective global becoming. Yeah, this perspective, it sounds like a perspective that you're talking about that is unspoken, but in, in how we engage with things as abstract as ideas and as practical and expressive as like religious tradition, when you're talking about the contrast of perspectives, if, if I'm going to be able to fully and safely categorize and box everything, then what you're saying, we're, we're off the field. We're no longer playing the game. And if you're a coach on the bench, you're looking at, oh, the backs need to move here. And you're the, you're the guy that sees it all. And when you're in the locker room later, you're like, listen, you stuffed up here and there was a hole here, but you couldn't see it. Whereas you're saying, if we're looking at religious tradition and I guess experiencing God or the divine in this, in this other way, you're actively saying, I am on the field. I don't know what's happening on this part of the field. And so then I'm going to have some some level of humility and difference, but your experience and perspective as you journey through, it sounds like it's going to be different. And, and that's going to shape how you then engage with ideas that you might be unfamiliar with or traditions you're not sure of rather than judge them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because to some degree, if there's multiple fields and multiple different games happening at the same time and the games are ongoing, the humility is, yes, learn the rules of the game, Hmm. but then play it. So I do think Uh religious traditions offer a context that offer us like, hey, this is this is the field. These are the players this is the ball. Here's the goal. And they describe it in different ways. And sometimes that's helpful and useful to people. And for a lot of people, it's, it's been, it's become so corrupt that it's damaging, you know, like the current Catholic church situation uh, around homosexuality. So it's like in some contexts, the rules that are being given or the goals that are being given are unhelpful in the practice of playing the game and trusting your own instincts about where things are headed or where they could be headed. Um, And so that's where I think there's a little bit of the human humility that needs to happen around the rules and around who determines what those rules are, as well as who determines what the goals are. Like what's what's the ultimate purpose of, of these things? If religious tradition's goal is to offer us a glimpse of a larger capital R reality that can inspire us in this reality, lowercase reality, to live with creativity and imagination and purpose and love and to um, be committed to social justice and, um, you know, to change our world and, and to make our world a better place, then if that's the goal, then... Currently, some of the rules need to change because religious institutions and organizations and, and um, traditions are currently not inviting those things to happen. So we have to we have to we have to be attentive players, um, and we have to keep the true goal as like you know that's the true north, right? And that's like I think that's the stuff that's written in people's hearts and human beings' hearts. Like we instinctively know that the goal of 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 reality ought to be it ought to be to make the world a better place to make it a more loving place a more just place a more kind place um anyway i don't know if that's making sense but to me that's sort of like 
and we're playing with a lot of metaphors here, but I think the thing that's most important for me um, is to say like, you know, whatever gets you in the game, just don't forget you're part of the game. Don't forget that you have a part to play in that unfolding story that's telling itself. Um, and, you know, if you're a student of, of religious tradition, like, you know, in Christianity or monotheistic traditions, it's like, theology isn't finished. God talk is still happening. Let's just make sure we remember that. Because if we're busy worshiping the God talk of the past, then we're also inviting those oppressive structures and limited perspectives to invade and continue to imprison our current, you know, present perspective. As I contrast the different worldviews or approaches, it sounds like an approach to religion that is more complex to express but also if you distill it down I'm, I'm seeing like a very different way that maybe more conservatives would engage with religion and then the way you're engaging with religion and religious tradition and these these structures and it seems as if you have as I talk with those who are from a I don't know I don't know, people don't like the word conservative, but conventional form of Christianity. They would, they would, they seem to be describing a coherent set of answers. They go, this is the world. This is how it works. And we Mm. can all agree on these structures. But the emphasis that keeps coming through everything you're saying as you're talking about uh, the, the way in which we interact with life and with tradition it sounds like the key emphasis is Mm. lived participation with and the integration of trusting yourself Uh, because it, it sounds like that's the metric in which the what's, what's being measured because when you're coming from a conservative worldview, you're correlating everybody's worldview and you're saying, is this correct? But you can't be correct and I can't be correct. We both can't be correct. So let's debate this. Let's find out who is right because I need to describe this reality as capital T true as possible. And there's only one of them and I can describe that. But Mm. you seem to be saying, if I'm living this experience, things are expressed differently. You're not saying, oh, well, we can't know what's true. Mm. It sounds like you're saying my lived experience is going to guide me towards what's true my experience and engagement with politics my experience and engagement with all these other avenues but the central central theme seems to be coming from your unique human experience and perspective what does that what do you make of that yeah yeah it's it's the your embodied experience of these ideas is more important than your being right Hmm. about these ideas Uh, your unfolding instincts around these ideas is more important than the ideas themselves. You know, I I think, and and let me just say this, because you bring up, you know, a more liberal approach to spirituality um, versus a more Mm -hmm. conservative worldview. And here's the deal. Like I come from conservative, conservative, conservative. (laughs) My grandparents are, you know, we're Baptists and uh, my parents were Baptist missionaries. Now they're, they're, you know, more liberal now, but still, um, and, and here's what I want to say about this. I want to say that if love is the goal, you can get there as a conservative. You can get there as a liberal. It does not matter as long as love is the goal and you see yourself as an active participant in manifesting that love in some shape, way, or form. But let me let me get specific here. 
if your belief systems and how you are living into them is making you a more loving person, then I think you can trust that. And a more loving person is not someone that says, I love you, but I just, I don't agree with your life. (laughs) You know, my grandparents were really conservative Baptists who probably, you know, were not pro-homosexuality and all kinds of other things that I would find issue with today, but they never, ever, ever would turn a person away or speak against them or say, we'll only love you if you believe things the way that we do. And they were as conservative as they get. So I just want to say that, like, I think ultimately, if the goal, if the end goal is to become a more loving person, which I would hope that would be the goal Mm -hmm. of religious tradition, (laughs) that you would embody a greater capacity for love and kindness and compassion and curiosity and all these things. Um, then it's the embodied experience of those qualities, you know, and, and like as a good Baptist missionary kid, I'm just going to, you know, quote scripture where it's like, you know, the, the concept of the fruits of the spirit, like look to your life, where is the fruit in your life and what do you know to be true? Mm. Um, and don't be so willing to take yourself off the field and sit on the bench and, and just, you know, sit back and let the preacher say, and, you know, consider the fact that like, oh, those were the 12 apostles and there was Jesus and like, whatever. It's like, no, you have a part to play in this now, here, right now. We all have a part to play Mm. when we forget the capacity that we have to affect change in our world. We are essentially saying that the story is done and it's complete and we just, we don't really have to do anything except show up to church on a Sunday Mm. and say, thank you, Jesus. It's like, Mm -hmm. No, I think that's an exercise of of missing the point and and missing, you know, the the inspiring example of, you know, the founder of Christianity, Jesus. Mm, you're, you're describing a maybe a trend of passivity that comes with mastering like a worldview through a theological doctrine of of some kind. It, you're saying it just it pulls you off the field so you can play this game of at analytics and coaching and talk the stats um and there's also a level of something that is non-controversial if you're listening to this and you're disagreeing with it all one not the point doesn't matter but there's something that's not like non-controversial about what you're talking about that's very modeled in jesus that is saying like the number one love your neighbor as yourself ultimately love that that's the key and the thing you're talking about is saying I want to be living this, experiencing this, and that's become your, I guess, if people would say, they might say to you, like, Brie, how do you know what's true? Like, you're in this, I don't know, like, you admitted up the top of the show, like, you're a mess, you're unsure of all of these things. (laughs) But it sounds like you still have this grounding, like, they would say... If you don't have the Bible, like, what do you, what do you have? Like, I know what's true because it's written right here in my past and we have this, this consensus in a group and we're in a community and we know what's right. Mm-hmm. But Brie, you're talking about other religions that they can kind of, that's right and that's right. How do you know? But what I'm hearing is how you know is just saying, am I open to more love? Am I leaning towards more acceptance? Is my journey trajectory taking me more towards the life mm-hmm. and path of Jesus than away from it. And I think that seems to be an idea that anyone could surely get behind, whether you're fundamentalist or not. 
Yeah. And let me just say that same critique applies greatly to the more liberal, mystical, contemplative world just as much, because it's like you can sit there and talk all the jargon of non-duality <laughs> and the contemplative brand. You know, you can, you can belong to the contemplative brand and be like a buyer and have all the contemplative products, but you could still be sitting on the bench. Okay. Because if what you mean by am I a more loving person doesn't directly impact your actions in this world, then it's not really love. Because love inspires action because love is connection to other bodies and the planetary body that we're part of. So, you know, one of my favorite mystics is Teilhard and he says the the structure of the universe itself is love. Now, when you take that at like face value, you're like, whoa, that is some serious mystical stuff. Like it's just sort of like, oh, the, you what know, the, the shape of the universe <laughs> is love. But what he's what does it mean? It's just, and even like the word love is so crappy because it's like, it doesn't like, what does it mean? Like everybody uses that word love and it just sounds so like emotional and like vapid. It's, you know, but what Teilhard is saying is that the structure of the universe, which is all about complexity and connection, that's how he defines love, an ever evolving complexity of connectivity. And if we are ourselves living into the complexity of connectivity, if hmm. we can see ourselves as belonging to a network of being and becoming that is larger than us and that our life impacts other lives, like, you know, the coronavirus has totally illustrated for us, we are one. You know, we are we are one human species on one planet. Mm. So our choices impact one another. So so if you're a contemplative and you're meditating three times a day and you've got all the jargon and you're like, you know, I'm integral teal on <laughs> Ken Wilber's, you know, uh, spiral dynamics yes. and all those things that you think you are, you know, but you don't care about black and brown bodies and the systems that oppress black and brown bodies and, and privilege white bodies, or you don't care about the state of our planet, or you're not actively living mm. into deeper relationships with those who are impacted by those systems of oppression, then I'm sorry. It's sort of like, then it, you mm. know, to, to, is it Paul? Then it's a resounding gong. It means mm. nothing. You know, it's just like empty. Mm. Then it is that, you know, ephemeral sort of like, you know, uh, romantic, uh, emotional uh, Hollywood word that means nothing. It's mm. just oh, the universe is love. Cool, cool. But what does what does love do? Love creates. Mm. Love creates change, and love itself is change, because you cannot love any person and not be changed by that love. Mm. So. That, to me, is the inspiration of all religious traditions, whether you're conservative or liberal in those traditions. To live and embody love and to live it out in change so that love can continue to thrive and grow and uh, become more true in our social systems, in our art, in our society, in what we do, um, and full circle in our spiritual traditions as well. Mm. I'm seeing a lot of links as you're talking about how what you're talking about leads to like progressive politics. It leads to, I, I guess, the movement towards what is, go what is being done about these systems of oppression. Like that seems to be what is growing in what people are talking about. They're going, it's systemic. This is a 
this is a system and then you're going, well, if we're going to move towards change and move towards love, then we can't, you know, the personal level and the experiential level is important because I need to like love you as best I can and engage with you as a human and move towards that and embrace that complexity of connection you're talking about. Uh, But it also, in the end, leads on a political level saying, what am I voting with my dollars with? What am I voting with my actual vote with? And, and what does that lead to on an even higher level? But you're, you're then talking about the same trap that potentially like fundamentalist traditions get trapped in, which is sitting on the side, analyzing, mm-hmm. getting caught in theory. You're saying that same trap yeah. exists within what yeah. you're talking about, the more progressive, enlightened, um, contemplative. And we're, we're oh, at the clickbait man. now, I think, yeah. where it's like uh, a precious contemplative asshole. <laughs> I'm a recovering yes, contemplative that's right. asshole. So, I guess talk to me about that. Like, what yes. is that? That's it. Yeah. Okay, because here's the thing. I think any form mm. of elitism is is dangerous and is anathema to love. It is It is going to be a destructive force of contempt and is going to be an, an antithesis to love. It's going to corrode love. Because if you're sitting on your high horse or your high brand of contemplation or whatever your platform is that you think you've got, um, you know, super woke, whatever it is, it's like you're going to be, uh, whenever the ego attaches to those things, we then turn it into a click of belonging in which there is an us Hmm. and there is a them. And you watch this on social media and it's like, you, you know what? You don't get to choose who you are connected to. We are all connected. We are all one, you know, and we have a great responsibility to this planet and to each other. Um, not necessarily in that order, but like to each other and the planet, if we hope to be around uh, to recognize that fact. And so the contempt with which the liberal side, you know, the the contemplative elite, the mystical, the mystical brand uh, can sometimes wield against those who are more traditional, more conservative, uh, is, is part of the problem. Mm. And if we don't see ourselves as part of the problem, if we don't see that contempt that we're, Mm. um, that we're swimming in and that we're, you know, vomiting out in every aspect of our engagement, then it's going to, the cycle is going to continue to happen in which you're going to have like the, you know, the conservative traditional versus the liberal Um, progressive. And this is just going to constantly be this tension. So my invitation is to say, you don't get to choose, uh, you know, how that love uh, impacts, or or let me say it this way, that love that you are seeking to embody best be applied to everybody. (laughs) That that it, it, it needs to amplify and manifest through your openness and humility to all human beings, because we all have something to learn from each other. Um, And we can take a stand. I'm not saying that there's no stand to take against um, injustice or, you know, uh, egregious moral uh, issues that are taking place or institutions or uh, behaviors that are, you know, systemic. I'm saying let's take a stand, but let's not do so in a way that then demonizes and vilifies an entire group of people for not being on the right side. Um, I think we have to have compassion. We can have judgment. We can have uh, fair critique, but we don't have to hate people in the process of that critique. Um, 
and and that's something that I think is 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 hugely important. I know to the organization that I work for at Unite, which is to say we are in this together. <laughs> we are in this together. And if we want to understand what happened in the United States, for instance, with the last five years and, and the phenomenon of, of what took place uh, when Trump was president, then we better have humility to understand the role that elitism and contempt had in forming that, in, in participating, in creating the right conditions for that um, kind of ideology to take hold. Hmm. There's this recurring pattern of the powerful who were oppressed, who maybe get in power, then return the oppression, even if it is as subtle as creating a new scapegoat, a new group to blame, a new people who are the problem. And what you're talking about is implicating ourselves as never being beyond, I guess, this threat, this problem, this tendency that we have to create an enemy out of the other all the time. But I guess that's the catch, right? Because the catch is, mm. it seems to be only unawareness because everything you're saying, I can, I can hear, you know, a lot of people agreeing going, yeah, that's right. Like I do need to love people. I, I agree with everything you're saying. And that's why you need to stop being gay. So you don't burn in hell. Like it's this, it's this idea of we all kind of can agree with that premise, but truly being able to see ourselves in any state, whether we are, well, I voted for like the right party in this and I did that. So, you know, clearly it's not me the problem. I guess seeing ourselves as being either under threat of becoming it at always kind of potentially becoming that elite that condescends that looks down upon whether you are causing obvious harm or causing the subtle harm of viewing the better than and i guess that's kind of summed up in what you're saying when you're saying i'm a recovering like this is my journey it's the continual journey of going i'm not better than you yeah. i'm not better than you yeah 100 percent. yeah and this is the thing it's like if if you are infringing upon the dignity of another human being, if you are saying that person does not have inherent worthiness at any point, I think that whatever spiritual tradition you're part of, like <laughs> that's like a big red flag <laughs> going off. That you, if you find yourself capable of determining that some bodies are not, they don't, they don't have inherent dignity, inherent worth. Um, that's problematic. So, so I think for me, the practice of being a recovering precious contemplative asshole is to one, live in unknowing, live in humility, the humility that's willing to learn from anything or anyone at any time. And then secondly, it's to, to appreciate, to increase the, um, the preciousness of, every person's dignity, to recognize it, to name it, to respect it, to respect the dignity of all people. Now, that doesn't mean I, I have to respect the choices or their belief systems, but I will never, ever act in such a way that depreciates or robs the inherent worthiness or inherent dignity of another human being. Now, I think that's a basic practice that it doesn't matter if you're left or right, you can adopt. You can adopt the the acting toward other human beings as though, as if they carry inside them inherent worth and dignity. So how do we how do we have political discussions where we might disagree without infringing on the dignity 
of, of each other? How do we respect and elevate the dignity of each other, but disagree politically? Um, how do we have different spiritual and religious worldviews, but still treat each other with inherent dignity? Um, I think that's kind of something that we've almost, almost lost in the last 10 years, you know, in our world and social media and uh, other factors, you know, the, the media echo chambers have some, somewhat exacerbated this problem, right? Because it just animates the idea that, no, we're right. They're the problem. These people are wrong. They're the issue. And if we could just eliminate them or if we could just kick them off the, you know, the ship, the ship or the island, uh, then everything would be better. But it's like, look, we're stuck here with each other. <laughs> it's kind of like a marriage. <laughs> you got to figure this out. Like, we're going to have to work it out. Like, you know, and if maybe the marriage isn't a good analogy, it's like we're co-parents in this situation. It's like we've got kids to raise. We have a world we have to make sure doesn't burn. So how can we find a way to treat each other with dignity and kindness and compassion? It doesn't mean we have to agree, uh, but we certainly can lead from the heart in a different way. How then did you get here? Because it sounds like from what you've mentioned, you had a fundamentalist upbringing and perhaps older or younger Brie would have said, Brie, like I agree, like I agree with everything you're saying. But how did you then get to the point where I guess the oppression that we participate in, the elitism of which we view others becomes visible to us how did you go from being i guess a fundamentalist to going you know what there's something in each tradition and i want to learn i want to be a student i don't want to know everything i don't want to treat everybody equally how, how did mm. how did you get there Ah, uh, yeah a lifetime of falling on my ass <laughs> a lifetime of getting it wrong a lifetime of having my heart broken a lifetime of experiencing suffering and seeing the suffering of others, a lifetime of falling in love, a lifetime of being shocked by wonder in such a way that all my categories of beliefs can't possibly describe. You know, I think in many ways it's life itself that's trying to offer us. And if you believe in God, it's God in life trying to offer us a larger and larger frame um, in which love can take precedence over belief systems, right? That right practice, orthopraxy, becomes more important than orthodoxy. And I'm not trying to get out of answering your <laughs> question, Conrad, because it's been a lifetime of sort of increasing mm. belief system rungs. And, and I'll tell you, like every time, every time your 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 belief systems are are in a growth spurt, it's really uncomfortable. You are in what I like to describe as a, a state of unknowing. You are in a, a, a chapter of your life in which the old stuff doesn't quite fit, but you don't know what the new stuff is. And so you're in this vacuum where your security blankets are gone. And I'm not going to pretend that that's an easy place to be because it's not. It's not an easy or comfortable place to be. But what I do want to say and why I'm, I'm so into this idea of unknowing is that it's a very creative place to be. It's a place in which creativity and life grow and happen. 
and you know, just give a visceral example of that for any women who are listening who have ever experienced a pregnancy. It is not comfortable <laughs> to be pregnant. There is nothing sweet and precious. Well, let me just say some, there is some sweetness, but I'm just like, you know, the ideas of a pregnant woman just like glowing and walking around. I'm like, no, my body was invaded by an alien. Everything hurt. And like, it was like my body wasn't mine and I was craving all kinds of things and everything was changing and shifting, but growing. And I was like not sleeping. I mean, it was like nine months of just like, what the hell? And that's, that's perfect for us to remember that like life, new life comes through discomfort and growth happens in the midst of displacing the old containers. Literally, a woman's heart turns upside down to make room for the fetus. Like, sorry, guys, you would die. Literally, <laughs> physiologically, men would die if this happened mm. to them. So, like, what else do we need? Everywhere are these messages all throughout the planet, in the seasons, and, you know, in scriptures and holy texts and poetry, in great art are these messages that in order to increase and grow and create, we have to go through these seasons of unknowing and unsaying, mm. and it isn't comfortable, it's not easy, but that that is the path. Mm. You're actually on the right path when you're in the midst of a season where nothing makes sense and you don't know what's next. It's okay. You're mm. not alone in that. And if you believe in God, God hasn't abandoned you in that either. Is there a time, is there a time that you can think of where you enter that, like, Obviously, you're describing an experience that happens over and over and over again, the continued suffering, the continued unknowing. When you encounter a new idea, you're like, geez, I don't know anything anymore. Um, is there, yeah, is there a, is there a, like, almost like a gateway drug idea or experience that you had that kind of was one of the first noticeable dominoes that fell? I mean, it's happened in so many different ways throughout my life that now it just becomes a very, it's, it's kind of familiar. I'll say this, this, this might be a helpful way to say the gateway to unknowing often comes in frustration. Uh, you know, I had a friend of mine once say, uh, frustration breeds creativity, Brie, don't fight it. So if you find yourself really frustrated like, just like you're trying to go through the motions of what worked before, but it's not working anymore. I think you are in the gateway of one of those seasons of unknowing, of a soul growth spurt, um, a heart growth spurt, where something is shifting and you're being invited to consider a new way. And you can see this in relationships, right? Like in marriage or partnerships where it's like, yeah, you get through, you get through, like you, you plateau and you're doing great and you're really communicating, things are working. But then like, guess what? Because you're human beings, you're both evolving and you're both changing. So like all of a sudden what used to work wasn't working and you have to adjust, you have to pivot, you have to reconsider how, how you connect as a couple. Um, so I say watch for frustration and then don't fight where you're frustrated, but be curious about that frustration because that's a sign of something wanting to manifest or expand in you. Um, and it can be in any facet of your life, but especially within belief systems. If you're sitting in a, you know, because you brought up Rob Bell, I'm totally remembering the days of like Mars Hill, you know, it's like if you're sitting in one of those gray chairs on a Sunday morning and you, week after week, and there's this kind of growing sense of like, I don't, I can't, I don't know if I buy this anymore. Like, and you know, you're having that moment when you're like, I don't, really know if I can 
get on board all the way. Or I don't know if I'm a diehard disciple to this belief system. Uh, something's afoot. And then the question becomes, are you courageous enough to trust that unknowing and go with it and see where it goes? Or are you going to fall back and double down mm. and just grit your teeth and fight and be like, no, I'm going to stay. It's going to be exactly as it was before. Mm. We're just going to keep playing the same record over and over and over again. Um, I think that's part of our human quandary and our human um, story is that we have it we have the opportunity to change, to grow, to direct where the story goes, but it's scary. It's not comfortable to do that. Uh, it's not comfortable to participate in the field because you have to trust that you yourself have an instinct about where you should go and where you should play and what you should do. Uh, and that takes courage and it takes a lot of vulnerable courage, which is not the courage of like, attack, we have a plan, we know exactly what's going to happen. It's the it's the kind of courage, the vulnerable courage of, of artists, of creativity, of getting up in front of the stage, um, you know, that sense, that feeling of being naked and vulnerable, of offering yourself to this life, even though you don't know or don't think you know what you're doing, um, or you don't think you're good enough, or you don't think you can trust your instincts about not really fitting into the church box the way you once did. And I'm a, I'm a part of that camp that's on the other side of it saying, yes, do, trust it. Trust that largeness in you that is growing and is pushing up, get up against the edges of your own, you know, preferences and beliefs because that largeness, that's, that's like, that's it. That desire, that creativity, that animating energy, you may call it God or you can call it the universe or you can call it love. Um, but to me, that's, that's where the juice is. That's where the oxygen is. And that's what I want to follow. Are you describing a space beyond deconstruction when there's a lot of, I guess, hurt coming from people leaving uh, on their journey, leaving religious institutions that might've caused harm or they're struggling. Maybe they feel like an idiot because they believe something that wasn't true for so long. Are you describing something beyond the deconstruction of pulling apart your beliefs or are you, are you describing what happens when you continue to deconstruct and continue to move into those uncomfortable spaces? Is there, is there a space where someone might deconstruct and then go, well, I don't need this anymore. I'm just going to throw it all out, but you're still using very religious language. You're still on this journey of looking at different religious traditions. Mm. You're still, almost haven't thrown it out, but doubled down. Is this a space for you beyond deconstruction? Did you go through a deconstructed period where you threw it all in the bin or were you always kind of pushing through it to where and how you see things now? Yeah. Um, I think this is part, part of what the invitation is in our, in our time in this moment is to not think about mm. things so linearly. Um, or in quite such clean categories of like, oh, this is deconstruction, this is reconstruction. You know, even Richard likes to say this is, um, uh, you know, order, disorder, reorder. And I'm always giving him crap about it because I'm like, Richard, you know, life doesn't happen Don't like shade that. on Richard, yeah, Sorry. okay. <laughs> or at least mine doesn't. <laughs> 
time. Like it does not happen that way. Um, so you can get a better doctor than that. Mate. Yeah, I'm like, come on, buddy. Uh, but, but I think, uh, and I'll I'll use the term feminine, and I'm not saying that in a way that excludes you know men. I'm saying that in a way that it's like a more embodied image for me is that of. Um, you know, quilting, you will say like, it's, it's the, it's a, it's the stitching up and down and there's an upside and a downside. There's an up loop and a down loop to the stitching process. And it's ongoing. You know, I think, and this gets in a little bit into our, our meta modern stuff, um, by the way, because it's like, I do think it's, it, it's, uh, you know, the in-breath and the out-breath. It's the, the wave that crashes down and then recedes. I think construction and deconstruction are happening all the mm. time. And we do ourselves a disservice when we say that, like, we're in a deconstruction period because then we think we have to deconstruct everything all the time until mm. <laughs> there's nothing left. And we do. We throw the baby out with the bathwater. But if we were to embrace mm. more of a gentle sort of ongoing uh intermezzo in the midst of our lives process of becoming, mm. then I think we can embrace the fact that like, yeah, you might need to deconstruct this. You might need to let this recede and you may need to re-receive and construct something that's, you know, from your past that you can kind of bring back into yourself mm. and heal and feel really happy about. Mm. Uh, yes. it, and I see that as kind of more of an ongoing, gentle, cyclical process as opposed to like a, let's tear the house down <laughs> yeah. and like throw those bricks away. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least that helps me a yeah. little bit. Different. Yeah. yeah. A different picture because we don't realize we always draw a line and we always create linear stages probably from our schooling system that goes I mean we might get advanced at school and it might be a circle and go back to the beginning but it's always like from that to that to that to that whereas you're kind of the the metaphors of an ocean like there's two parts to it and it's always going and it's gonna it might recede further this time and it might wash up the shore further and there's no pattern there's just like it's just kind of happening and unfolding and you're sort of talking about sitting with that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh -huh. participating with that breath, that movement, like see yourself as dancing with it in it. You're moving in that cyclical uh, rhythm. You're in that rhythm. And um, since I just bashed Padre, I, I need to bring up one of his other phrases that I actually adore, uh, which he said on another name for everything. He said, the undoing is the remaking. The undoing is the remaking. So just trust the cyclical nature of that, that it's like, yeah, you it's okay. If you find certain things about religion really traumatizing, like, that's all right. Don't go there. Go to where the oxygen of your soul is, like, really excited about, you know, maybe it's the poetry of David White. So read that as your scripture for a time. And trust that this will come back as it needs to, as you're able, and that there's a rhythm to these things. And that's why I started by saying this is a more feminine perspective, because I think it's a more embodied and bodily way of thinking about deconstruction and reconstruction, um, not so linear and kind of chapter categorical. This tendency of how we hold things, and Milo designs there in the in the live chat, it's deconstruction obsessed to the new fundamentalists. It's like we can hold something, and the how we hold it, no matter what we hold, becomes the fundamentalism that I guess you're talking about. Now, is this the realm when you're saying this is like the feminine, and this is this is the, the, what you're using to describe that? Is this the realm where people like yourself highly 
creative. So if I, my wife is similar, I would think. Like I see you enjoy painting and music and my, my, my wife's just like, sees the, I've, I've discovered sees the world completely differently to me. If I'm to compare myself, I'm a walking head. I am a T-1000 just categorizing, oh, where does this go? <laughs> Oh, that box there. Oh, what's the what's the theory of this? Oh, let's let's trace that back. There's got to be an explanation. I'm going to draw a map to this. Yeah. And is is what you're talking about yeah, yeah. just completely out of reach for people like me? Just guys that go through life, just boxing, categorizing. Is this like you know? It's it's nice to hear the ideas you're talking about, but for people like me, is it like listen? I don't know if I can ever get there. I don't have that same intuitive sense of what you're talking about as the feminine that that I guess acceptance and engagement Mm. with these things. Is this a realm of creative people only? Uh, What what about Mm. people like me? No, no. Cause here's what I'll say is that Conrad, your capacity for, uh, you know, your capacity to analyze and have a critical mind, um, can, can, can be applied one of two ways. One would be to draw maps and hierarchies of belonging that exclude, that draw lines, right? That say you're in and you're out. Or that same capacity that you have to um, locate and name pattern could be applied to rhythm, um, could, could be applied to music. So music is math <laughs> and even art itself is about spaciousness and lines, but there's a difference between music and a painting and orthodoxy or, you know, a map or a, a line, a delineation between an us and a them. So I'm not saying what I'm talking about is only applicable to those who are creative. I'm using creativity as a metaphor because I think we're all deeply creative as human beings. And I describe creativity as whatever animates your soul and makes you want to get in the game. Like that's your creativity. So if your creativity is about studying history and patterns and wanting to analyze like belief systems and philosophy and how philosophy impacts our world. I'm like, there is absolutely a need for those types of minds. But the difference would be that instead of needing to apply that skill set or that gift in a really rigid way, let's apply it in a way that is ongoing. That is, you know, the note, the, the rhythm that's playing itself in, you know, in jazz. It's like you're you're improvising, but you you've got a pattern going on, you know, with that kick and the snare and the cymbal. Like you've got a pattern that you are creating, and you are able to infuse that pattern into something that is creative versus something that is going to box people out. Mm, I really like that picture that that you painted and almost redrawing the lines or understanding of what creativity is because there's a there's an operating stereotype that I just gave there of like creativity is just this so as you redraw those lines going well creativity is something bigger to participate in and there's lots of different aspects to creativity and I think the metaphor of the drums is is a good one and that's oh, like yeah. the structure the backbone it's very consistent but you like I mean there's a lot of improvisation that still happens I think um so then is there for you any, and as I hear maybe more conventional Christians listening to this, is there any uniqueness for you about Jesus? Is there any, like you're talking about, you're, you're, you're saying make this poem your scripture. Are you just saying like, 
there's no uniqueness about Christianity or Jesus. And it's just like, you know, whatever you want kind of thing. You Like Christianity is not that much more special or mm. like, are you even a Christian? Like, I guess, what, what, what would you make of that <laughs> mind that would hear what you're talking about and engage in that way? Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I would say I get it. I, I get why why we want to box each other in because it's more comfortable that way. It's if I can give you a label that you can make sense out of, then I become less threatening and less scary. Hmm. I get it. I get that instinct. I will say that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that Christianity is sort of like my, you know, hmm. it's my native tongue. It's not the only language I speak, you know, so I actually speak, you know, a couple different languages and it's like, I have a native tongue. It's Spanish. <laughs> it's not the only language I speak because obviously we're speaking in English. Um, but my native tongue is Christianity because that's what I grew up in. So it is very huh. dear to me. It is very um, beautiful to me because there's a certain flavor and note to it. It's like, you know, it's like if you had to pick like your top five albums, it's like, you know, you're kind of asking me to pick my top album right now. And I can say, okay, I can pull out the Christianity record and I can tell you everything I love about it. You know, the incarnation, the the concept of the Trinity that I think is just was brilliant on the part of the founding fathers, um, even though it was just men that basically founded the tradition, whatever. Um, but, you know, Mary Magdalene, uh, the example of Jesus and the Gospels, uh, you know, the beauty of the Psalms, like, the, you know, I think I already mentioned the concept of the incarnation is just mind blowing. You know, the mystical cosmic way that Paul talks um, that I think invites us into a really radically huge way of understanding ourselves and believing and, you know, uh, ideas like the alpha and the omega. I mean, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a record I love. It's a record I come back to all the time. It's kind of home base in many ways, but it's not the only record that I'm going to listen to because I actually want to apply the same, the very teachings of, of Christianity mm to my life in believing that we have to live with deep humility, that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we can't say those things and then still believe that other people, cultures or belief mm. systems have it wrong. So then when you encounter the person that will say to you, then, yeah, but do you believe that record is literally true? When you're talking about the resurrection, they're going to ping you on that and they're going to say, Brie, did it happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah um that record actually happen you know i would say no one knows exactly what happened in that studio when that music was made uh and nobody knows exactly what the process was or who even played which instrument when um I do think that the music itself lives on and that we have to trust that. We have to trust that it's still reverberating and ongoing and it's not finished. So I, I don't, you know, early on, I think I was a teenager when I kind of like, <laughs> Rob might even remember this moment where I like hanging out with a group of people and I just was like, you know what? I'm kind of over the resurrection. Um, oh, no. I just, I just am over it. <laughs> That's some early <laughs> heresy there, that brain. language. <laughs> but what I... Oh, I, I know. I know. This, this was the beginning of the end. Uh, this is why my dad calls me his favorite heretic. Mm. Um, what I meant by that was 
it is not the most important thing to me to argue about what happened and exactly how it happened when we cannot know mm. exactly how it happened and what happened. What I care more about is the truth being described in these stories. Um, and that they, they, there's a truth that is a capital T truth that is bigger than literal mm. truth, in my view, um, mm. that just like poetry and music and art is a capital T mm -hmm. truth that inspires real uh, the real, the, the it, it awakens you, it, it, it opens your heart, it makes you want to live and be and do more. Like, that's the kind of truth that I live by. Um, and so because of that, Conrad, I think the, the answer I would give people is beauty um, is sort of my truth. And what I mean by beauty is not, you know, an arbitrary aesthetic perspective that some people determine as beautiful. I mean, Beauty as the thread of connectivity that binds us all and inspires all of us to, to moreness, hmm. to more action, more creativity, more hope, more possibility, more imagination, more love, more creativity, more, tr more change, more transformation, hmm. like more hmm. like that. That's what my truth is. Like I live by that. And so I think the scriptures and I think Christianity is beautiful and beauty has truth to it. Hmm. I don't need it to be literal in order for it to be true. Final question there. And you've probably answered some of it. So th that's the pushback you always get. You Like th they would say, you don't believe anything. What you're talking about is this ethereal like concepts and things like that. But you're, what you're doing is mm. trying to use language to mm. describe that, which is beyond the, what we're talking about. Cause you know, Gabe, friend of the show last week, he, you know, he'd say, you know, these liberals, they just don't end up believing anything. And you find out the definition of belief, I think is it's a different, it's a different thing. So you would say, yes, I believe lots of things, but you're trying to push beyond that one level that says, here's these intellectual ideas. We, we kind of like espouse to, or, 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 or can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his critique is fair, though. Let, <laughs> let me just say it's like, oh, people don't believe anything. And I do think that there's a lot of people who live hmm. with that cynicism. Mm. I'm not one of them. And at the start of the show, I said, no, I don't fit in that box because I believe in everything. It's like there is there is enough room mm. for me to believe in, you know, Christianity and, um, you know, and also Sufism and to to recognize the beauty of buddhism and the you know the um the practice the grace of of buddhism and to still consider myself a christian you know so this is the thing um some people are willing to hear harmonies and learn how to hear harmonies and learn how to hear how multiple notes can exist at the same time and stack up and create a beautiful tension that actually makes a chord and some people only want the one note no, 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 no. It's this note. And I'm like, yes, it's that note. It's sandwiched in the midst of all these other ones. Isn't it beautiful? They're like, no, 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 no. Just the one note. So I think that would be the way that I would answer that question is that note is central to me. It's very important. I think Jesus brought a very powerful, earthy, a radically socially transformative flavor to this world. And I think the incarnation is brilliant. I think that, that as I mentioned earlier, the Trinity is is such a powerful picture, a like a picture of God as a community that's ever unfolding and ever creating, like sign me up. I love it. 
Um, so I do think that each of these traditions has a unique flavor, a unique note. It's just that I can hear them harmonizing and I can't unhear what I hear. So it's okay if you can just hear that one note right now, that's fine. Um, you know, that I don't, that I, I don't, I, I'm not going to look down on that. That's not an issue for me because I hear them kind of playing together. Final question from a friend of the show shot through in the live chat here. Um, can you journey towards what you're talking about without a religious tradition or a, or a teaching? Can you, can you somehow get there? Like, uh. did you get here because of your Christianity or do you think there's a path without it? I think there's a path for everyone. Uh, and if you grew up in an atheist home and you never really connected with a spiritual tradition, sorry, I keep touching my phone because I think my oh, phone no is worries. running out of battery, so I'm <laughs> afraid it's going to just die. Um, but yeah, I've met plenty of people who are, um, you know, committed atheists who never grew up with a spiritual tradition and are some of the most loving, kind, generous, compassionate human beings I've ever met. So yeah, this world is full of beauty and wonder and inspiration. And if your path hasn't been through spirituality or religion, uh, there's still a path of becoming that you are on mm. and can trust. And I think the same traps that exist within spiritual traditions, religious traditions exist outside of them too. All of us can get dogmatic in our belief systems or absence of belief systems. All of us can get obsessed with certainty, with our assumptions. Um, and all of us can can fall through the trap door of wonder, of awe, of mm. beauty, of love, and discover that there's more than we ever imagined was possible. Brie, thanks so much for taking the time to to chat with me. The the metaphors and descriptions and kind of like picture filled language it really gives me ideas to think about, and not just new ideas to think about, but strategies of thinking about them in a new way. Is there anything you want to add to like wrap up that you might not have gotten to or anything like that? Uh, I just say I'm in the midst of it with, with you all, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to listen to somebody talk about these things and it can sound really beautiful and inspiring. And, uh, I just want to say like, it's messy. It's complicated. I, I have so many moments on my own kitchen floor. I'm kind of in the midst of a chapter right now of deep unknowing of not knowing what's next. Uh, you know, where, where it's, it's tears, it's frustration, it's not sleeping at night. So I just, I want to name the real embodied reality of going through these seasons of kind of growth and uncertainty. And we're in a collective season of uncertainty right now in the world of like, when will we go back to normal? Will these vaccines work? Like, what is it going to be next? And so I just want to make space for the challenge of that and the difficulty of that and the embodied reality of that. Uh, so that you're not left with this impression of like, oh, it sounded so beautiful and mystical. Why can't I get there? It's like, no, I'm going to get off this podcast and I'll probably like, you know, remember all the things that are happening in my life and I'll like cry and swear and just be a big fat mess. So I'm in it with you all. I think that's the the, the thing I want to end on is we are all in the process of becoming we're all in it together and the unknowing is unfolding. And if we have the courage to trust it, I do believe we're we're being given an opportunity to um, to reimagine who we are individually and collectively. Mm. Bree, thank thanks so much for taking so much time. And if if you're still here after an hour and twenty four minutes, 
bloody well done. Congratulations. If you wow. are still here and you <laughs> disagreed with everything, if you if you listen to Bree and you're like, oh, Bree, believing in everything, you're pretty and much pu- it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're just pushing hard against it, but you're still here. Gold medal, gold well star, done. whatever metaphorical yeah, stickers yeah. I have, you've got them. Message me and say, hey, I made this whole thing and I'll send you an emoji <laughs> medal and you'll know you can take that to the bank. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll cash them in later <laughs> for some rewards. So excellent job for sticking in there. That's the practice. Um, if you have any show ideas or you want to stay in touch um, with Bree, actually, if you have Brie, how can people, if they want to like follow your work, you're an artist, musician. Yeah. How can people follow you and Instagram? Instagram. I'm that's the one and only platform I use. I, I can't do more than one, you guys. I'm sorry, but I'm on, on, on TikTok, I'm on Instagram. Yeah, and and I'm I'm working on a new podcast called Unknowing. So if this topic is mm. is resonating with you, then please you know follow me on Instagram and stay tuned because. We're going to have lots of conversations like this about the process of unknowing and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit more comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yes, definitely. And I'll put some of those links in the, in the show notes. And if you have any show ideas, if you have anyone who triggers you that you want to understand a bit more, send them my way. We'll, we'll have a chat. Let's, let's talk about it. Uh, you can reach out on Instagram. If you're still here, rate and review the podcast. I did get a one-star rating. Made me a little sad. But, you know, there's a lot of five-star there. I'm still thinking about that one-star. Uh, you can give me one if you really want, or five would be would be very nice. Thanks for tuning in, and I will catch <laughs> you all in the next episode.